Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Fiona, and you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. Today, we're speaking with Steph Ryan. Steph is the deputy leader of the Victorian National Party, and she was elected to parliament in 2014 when she was only 28. She grew up on a farm in the north of Victoria and worked as a rural journalist before getting involved in politics. We spoke with Steph about her life on the farm, the millennium drought, and what it's like being in politics. As always, you can get in touch with us over social media or email. Don't forget to rate and review Over the Fence wherever you get your podcasts. Here's our interview with Steph. So you grew up on a dairy farm. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so I was born into a farming family. My grandfather actually farmed poultry back in the day and then moved into dairy farming and was always really very big in genetics. And I think that's something that my dad really inherited as well, a a real love of genetics. So um, my grandfather actually died in a um a car accident and after that dad came home to take over the family farm he he's one of nine but i think he was the one who had a real passion for farming and so he took it on and when he took over the farm he he started putting a lot of effort into into breeding and genetics and we had in the end we had a stud holstein farm that was quite amazing really i think by the time he sold it, it was averaging 10,000 litres an animal, which in the early 2000s was pretty enormous. And, and he always had a really big emphasis on feeding. There was one point where we were milking three times a day. <laughs> As a, a kid or in your early teenage years, was not always welcome. <laughs> but I grew up, I guess, uh, you know, the, the cattle were a huge part of our life and we would um, take them to shows, we'd go to International Dairy Week, do all of that. And yeah, it was just, a, it was a really beautiful way to grow up, but I suppose it was also, it also made you very, very mindful of the cycle of nature as well. So, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of my childhood, I can categorise by droughts and floods and, you know, those those kind of cycles which, become big events when you're on a farm. How old were you when the millennium drought was kicking off? Well, it, was, it dominated my latter teenage years, I suppose. Um, I was finishing high school in 2004 and I had, I had very much always loved being on the farm, but I think particularly as I got to my late teenage years, I just felt like it was always such a struggle and I became very determined to uh, go and do something else. I think it was different perhaps for my older sister um, and even my older brother that, that they did end up going and doing other things, but they were also really heavily invested in the farm. They worked on the farm. My sister was really involved in the breeding side and the pedigree side of things. It just, you know, watching, I guess, that drought in particular grind down mum and dad um, I think it just got to the point for me where I thought I can't be exposed to this, you know, every day, day in, day out. I can't, I can't um, have my life hinge on the patterns of the weather or even on the policy making that I felt was happening, you know, at a government level at that time. But it was, I suppose, 
a critical part of what made me interested in politics because I didn't come from a family that that had been involved in politics at all. We always had political discussions, you know, around the table, around the kitchen table, but um, or, or discussions about what's happening in politics, I should say. But we we weren't a political family, and so I, I went off and studied journalism when I finished school. Um, that was something that had always really interested me, understanding what the story was behind the story. And I felt like journalism was a way of being able to do that, to, to be there for myself and make up my mind, my own mind about what was going on. And then, yeah, so I, I came back after studying, um, actually partway through my degree and came home and worked for a year. By that stage, we'd moved from Murchison and we'd moved to, um, we actually moved from Murchison when I was, I was quite young. Dad sold the farm there and ended up buying a property um, at Wayuna, which was a old soldier settlement kind of block, you know, those square mile blocks that exist all through the Goulburn Valley. And so I moved, I moved back in with mum and dad for a year at that point, halfway through my degree and came home and decided to give my, my hand a go at actually working as a journalist. I grew up on one of those soldier settlement farms myself, actually. Um, so you went yeah. to the Riverine Herald? I was did, that... yep. What was it like? Which was great. I loved it. It was long hours. You know, I think um, you'd get in at eight. Sometimes you'd finish at seven or eight. But I, I loved the window that that gave me into the community. You know, on any given day, you might be out talking to someone about what they were doing on their property, farming, through to uh, going to the CWA meeting, you know, just covering covering everything that was happening around the community. I just really loved, I loved that opportunity to get out and talk to people. I remember um, I got in trouble with my editor one day for getting home about three hours late because I'd been out to Bunaloo and um, had gotten involved in shearing the sheep. And, <laughs> and when, when I got back, she, she said to me, where have you been? Um, that story should not have taken that long. But, you know, it, it was just a, a really amazing kind of opportunity to meet people and hear people's stories. And it's the same, it's largely the same thing that has always, that, that I've loved about being a member of parliament as well, is that opportunity to meet people, hear their stories and ask them questions that about their life and about what they do that might otherwise be inappropriate, probably. It's a license to be nosy. It is. Um, <laughs> when your dad or your parents moved the farm from Murchison to Wayuna, why did they move? Was it because of water issues or the drought or just another opportunity? No, the farm at Murch was amazing. We had 80 acres of river frontage on the Goulburn there, as in leased land, as well as I think probably about 250 acres secure water right. It was a beautiful property, but dad was in partnership with his uncle who decided that he wanted to get out. And so they sold up. Dad took the, the young stock with him that he'd invested heavily in and basically struck out on his own after that. And, and the property he bought, he had to develop from scratch. I think it had a, a shed on it at the time. So he built a new dairy, built a house. Um, we rented at Gagari for a while while, while the farm got up and running. And yeah, it was, it was a, a big thing for them to do. 
but it's really interesting in hindsight when I think about it now and I think about, you know, 50 years ago, a property of one or 200 acres was quite sufficient to look after a family. It's just not the case anymore. You know, it, most of our feed sources were all bought in. The cattle had a, a pretty um, heavy grain diet and, you know, we obviously cut hay and silage and that kind of thing, but so many of the inputs were out of your control when you consider water prices through a drought um, and the need to buy in feed. And I think really the model was probably just unsustainable in the end, even though, you know, he produced beautiful cattle and, and you know, heavily invested in the genetic sides of things and getting the best production out of them and all the rest. You can't do it if you've got so many inputs which are just outside of your control. When did you first start hearing farmers linking what they were seeing, say with the millennium drought and the other extreme weather events we've seen, to climate change? Hmm, it's an interesting question. I reckon, well, I suppose towards the latter years of the drought, really, I think, you know, as that drought really wore on, people started to feel like it was something out of the box. It was so brutal for so many people that I think a lot of people started to question, well, is this, is this the usual kind of cyclical nature that we get of um, drought, good years, floods? The, the fact that it ran for almost a decade, I, I think that probably did change a lot of people's view about what was happening with the climate. Steph, when did you really start thinking that politics was something that you could do and that you're interested in? It was never really something I had intended to do at all, to be honest. I, I guess... The motivating factor for me was my interest in water policy because I'd seen how important and how critical it was through the years of that drought, how much people's livelihoods hinged on it. And it was really it was really in that time when I was working in the Riverine Herald and I was talking to people and seeing the impact of the drought on the community and on my own family that I started to get a bit frustrated with some of the decisions that were being made. So most notably at the time, it was when the government decided to build the North-South Pipeline and decisions like unbundling came into effect where they separated the ownership of water from the ownership of land, which has, you know, created a great structural change in the water market across Northern Victoria. So I think a lot of those policies had me scratching my head a little bit. And it was in that context, I guess, that I was talking a lot as, as any local journalist would do with the local member of parliament, who was Paul Weller at the time. That was really my first exposure to a, a political kind of environment. Paul asked me if I, I would come and work for him. At the time, I really hesitated because as much as I was excited about the opportunity to, I suppose, not just report and tell stories, but to have some influence over policy, I was also really passionate about continuing with journalism and I kind of felt like as soon as you you know sign up to work for somebody you kind of are stamped as being on a political side and so I, I wondered what it would do to my journalism career it, and in truth it killed it because I never went back <laughs> but it seemed like too good an opportunity not to take not to actually have some influence over things that I felt were really critical to the future of our communities so that was the that was my foray into politics, I suppose. So from there, when I went back to uni and finished my degree, I worked for Peter Ryan for, for a period of time as the leader of the Nats and had the opportunity to 
help develop the water and agriculture policies that we took to the 2010 election. I mean, even at that point, I still had absolutely no intention of standing for politics. I really thought that I was, well, it didn't really cross my mind, but when it was put to me that I should think about it, I rejected it for several times because I felt I was too young. I hated the idea of someone coming to politics as a political staffer. You know, I felt like it was something that should be done by people who had had several careers and had perhaps more exposure to the world. But I, I came to realise over time that the reasons that motivated me to step into that world in the first place were things that I should pursue. And that as somebody who is younger, I have a perspective as well. And that the politics shouldn't be the domain of people who are, you know, over 50 or, or but it shouldn't only be the domain of people who are over 50 or over 60 and, you know, towards the back end of their career. And what was running for office actually like? What was electioneering and campaigning like? Um, it was amazing for the reason that I said earlier that you get to meet so many incredible people. And I am, I'm just, I'm always amazed of, at the very ordinary people doing very extraordinary things, if that makes sense. You know, to me, they're the, the really amazing people to meet, the people who drive their communities. They often do it really quietly behind the scenes, but they are doing really amazing things. And I just see it everywhere I go. Innovation and um, creativity that exists through country communities that is often unheralded. And I think that standing for, standing for parliament just gives you an amazing opportunity to meet those people because it kind of gives you a platform to go along to anyone and say, hey, would you mind if I had a chat to you and picked your brain about something? And so I think that's the, the aspect of it that I really enjoyed the most. A lot of our farmers are really passionate. They, they've joined our movement because they care so much about climate change. And climate is an issue that's actually really difficult for the National Party at a federal level, more so than Victoria at a state level. What sort of actions or what can they do to help make climate more of an issue and easier for the National Party to take action on? Well, I think I've always had the, the modus operandi, I suppose, that if you're frustrated with something, get involved to change it, I think. I think, you know, a lot of the, the differences of opinion that often get reported within the Federal National Party sometimes comes down to geography. You know, I think it, it's no surprise to anyone that Queensland often has a different view to Victoria on, on things. And I think often, in my observation, MPs are representative of the communities that they come from a lot of the time. I think it's important that people do actually get involved. You know, I think too many of us now sit back and feel frustrated about things, but don't actually take that step of saying, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to voice my view. I'm going to actually um, have an influence by uh, seeking to be more involved. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And everyone we have spoken to has said the same thing. At a Victorian level, yeah, do you think we're likely to get multi-partisan agreement on climate politics and climate policy in Victoria? Well, I, I think there's broad consensus that more needs to happen. Um, and that work needs to be done. And I think that's that's a clear message from our communities as well. For us, that's a position that's 
that's ratified by our party membership as well, that they want to see more action on climate change. I'm really keen to have discussions with, you know, some of the people who have been doing a lot of work in this space in the lead up to the next election to think about what our policy platforms will be coming into the next election. And I actually, COVID has kind of thrown a bit of a spanner in the works for me because I had a roundtable lined up with some of Melbourne Uni's academics, people like Professor Tim Reeves and the like to talk about some of their research work. So unfortunately, we've had to postpone that. But, you know, I think there's an incredible amount of knowledge um, and work that is happening throughout the university sector, but also through industry who are already pushing in this space. And as politicians, I I don't think it's always about reinventing the wheel or, you know, I'm not going to be the keeper of all knowledge on these things. My job is to go and talk to the experts and find out what the solutions are. And what do you like about being in state politics? And would you ever consider stepping up to federal? (laughs) It's funny, I get asked that a bit. Um, I love state politics because to me, it's where you can have a real impact on people's lives. You know, I think I'm very passionate about about education and trying to address some of those disparities that exist between um, the country and the city. You know, I, I think state politics is the area where most services get delivered to pe- for, for people. And so I think that's why I've always been interested in that sphere because I feel like you're a bit more closely connected with your community Um, and and a lot of that is just the nature of federal electorates being so large you know and I must admit I don't love Canberra as a a place I think it's it's easier to become disconnected with just the very nature of having to fly in and fly out of a city all the time yeah Canberra is not something that holds a lot of a lot of what's the right word a lot of appeal I suppose has there yep. anyone that has been a mentor to you and if so what have you learned from them it definitely I mean Peter Walsh has been a, a very big mentor in the sense that I worked for him for many years but but also taught me a lot about how you can actually achieve things within the political sphere. And he's also just been someone who's been incredibly supportive of getting more women into politics and into the party. So I would definitely count him as a mentor, but there are snippets of people along the way who have inspired me to take particular actions, I suppose, like little little moments. I remember in the 2014 campaign when I was first standing, I was driving along the Hume and I can remember the exact place I was at when ABC News came on and they announced that Gail Kelly was retiring as the CEO of Westpac and um, her retirement meant that the number of female CEOs within Australia, within that 100 ASX top listed companies declined from four to three or something like that and she was asked what advice would you give young women who are seeking positions of leadership or seeking to take the next step. And she said, just back yourself. She said, women often think, I'll just get more experience or I'll just go do this or I'll do this before I stick my hand up to take the next step. 
a few weeks later, after I'd been elected, when the position for deputy leader came up, her advice was in the back of her, her commentary was in the back of my head. And I took that on board and decided to put my hand up, even though it may have been a fairly audacious thing to do, given I, at that point, hadn't sat a day in Parliament. So it sounds like you grew up in, if not necessarily an apolitical household, a household that didn't have rusted on political views. How did you come to join the Nationals? What was it about the Nationals that appealed to you? Well, mum and dad have definitely always been conservative voters. For me, the thing that appealed to me about the Nats was the focus on country communities and, and the fact that their interests only lay in representing people outside of the city, which was where my passion lay and where I felt the inequities often were within the political system. So to me, that's that's our core guiding principle, that we are here to represent those people who live outside of capital cities and, and to make sure that they get fairly represented and, and a voice within a wider political system. Do you ever feel frustrated with some of the ways that Nats can be perceived? Yeah, all the time. I mean, you know, I think it's, it's always easy for people to fall back on stereotypes. And I often hear people say that, you know, we're a party of old blokes and all the rest, which I think if you look around the country is, is actually not true. You know, you've got um, Mia Davies leading the WA NAT. Our Senate team is almost entirely women, bar one now. So, you know, I think I would like to think that we are generally reflective of our communities. I think that's the most important thing for us as a party to make sure that we, we reflect the demographic and aspiration of our communities. I think a lot of people don't realise that 28 of the 30 poorest electorates in Australia are outside the capital cities, and a lot of those are held by the nationals. That's often forgotten at a federal level, that these are really working class seats. Absolutely. It's it's something I'm incredibly mindful of, actually, that, and and ultimately, that's got to be at the heart of our mission is addressing that disparity, you know, whether that's education or health or job opportunities, you know, that is that is a huge part of our mission. And I think traditionally, you know, we get seen as the party, the farmers party, because that's where our our roots have been. and, And that's definitely our history and farming will always be a very, very big part of who we are and our identity because it's fundamentally linked to rural communities. But you're absolutely right. We do also represent some of the most disadvantaged communities in Australia and and we need to be fighting for those people and and fighting for um, a better future for them. And I think when we think about climate policy and climate solutions, particularly if it's to get nationals voters on side and the nationals on side, they have to be job producing and job creating policies as well. Well, and I think that's a really important point. I think I often think about it in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's very difficult if you're struggling to put food on the table to think about longer term policy or what you see as longer term policy. And I think it's really important that the debate around climate change shifts to not just frame it through a paradigm of threat all the time, but but to actually help articulate and to talk about the opportunities that can arise from doing more around climate change. And I think rural Australia is really well positioned to be able to seize a lot of those opportunities. And so I think it's important not just for political leaders, but 
across the debate for people to also frame the debate in terms of what opportunities might arise um, for regional communities who, who at the end of the day are at the absolute forefront of feeling the impacts of climate change. And just finally, um, you're having a baby, so congratulations. And you think since being pregnant, has it shifted any, any of the way that you look at the future or your stance on some issues? Or I don't think so. Not yet. It'll be interesting to see whether it does when I'm holding a baby in my arms and thinking about their future. Um, yeah, I d probably, probably not yet, I think. It's, it's not quite real yet. <laughs> I know absolutely that feeling, actually. I, ha I had a baby four years ago now, and it was such an unknown. Did it, and I... did it change for you? Did you, th did you start to think differently about the world? I think so. You know, obviously, I think a lot about climate change, working at Farmers for Climate Action. But, um, and it's, that has been an issue I've been thinking about for a long time. But I think having a little person there and thinking about the world that she'll see as she gets older, that kind of, that may, that gives it a heightened awareness for me. Mm. And yeah, it keeps me going in my day. I think it's definitely the context around the pandemic has definitely, you know, it's changed my thinking around that. It's it's definitely made me think, what kind of future will my will my child have? You know, but that's probably been a more immediate thing in terms of the pandemic than thinking about climate change policy at the yeah. moment just because I don't know I guess it just feels overwhelming and it dominates everything at the moment. Thank you Thank so, you much, so for much for sharing. Thank you for listening to our interview today. Don't forget to subscribe to Over the Fence and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in finding out more or getting involved with Farmers for Climate Action you can visit our website at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Otherwise Connect with us over social media. Catch you next time.